Welcome to Big Brave Business. This is a podcast built on the belief that you can create absolutely anything for yourself. Whether it's a dream job or a dream life, it's all possible for you. I'm Amanda Nelson, a virtual assistant and digital marketer. And that's Sarah Heater, podcast producer and strategic consultant. Each week, we will share insights from working with dozens of clients, stories of how we got where we are, and encourage you to see us as your new business besties. So grab a cup of coffee and let's talk being brave in business. Welcome back to Big Brave Business. I'm Sarah. I'm Amanda. How you doing, Amanda? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. How are you on this lovely Tuesday, May the 2nd, as we record and live? You know, (laughs) I am, you're so cute. I am doing really well. I'm in a good mood today. And I think this is so funny. I just shared this on Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, you may have already seen this. But my middle step kid, it's weird to call him a kid. He's about to turn 21. But my older stepson of my two stepsons wrote his first D&D campaign and he is DMing. Listen to me using all the lingo. So he wanted to pilot this campaign <clears throat> aka if you're not a D person game <laughs> with or scenario i guess with the family so we do family dinners on monday nights we all said yes we would do it so i am learning D so that i can play my stepson's first ever campaign <laughs> okay i know absolutely nothing about anything that you're talking about is this dungeons and dragons Yes. Okay, yes. there's a movie coming out about that. It's out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. That'll be fun. You'll have to tell me how it goes. I have no idea it's how that so, how that goes. It's so overwhelming. There's like a million rules for everything and I actually just even so you all like pick a character and you start building it and there's like things you get to choose and then depending on those decisions it like dictates all these other things about your character and then you have to you have like character sheets you have to write down all this information so that as you're going through the scenario you have easy access to it and just building the character we were looking up so many things and I was just overwhelmed but I mean, it's fun. It's silly, but it's fun. And he, I'm sorry, I say it's silly, but like if you play, if you're listening to this and you play D&D hardcore and you don't think it's silly at all, then I'm more power to you. I'm not knocking your, your interests. It's definitely, it's a good time. So we made characters last week and then this week we started the scenario and our characters met each other and they got into a fight in a tavern it was, it was a good time. What is but happening? I, think, I don't know, man. So uh, this is all fairly new to me. I mean, I've seen like references to it in pop culture and media, like Stranger Things and whatnot. Like that's what I was going to say. Of... Is like my only thing is Stranger Things. It's the only time I've ever heard about it. And then yeah. when I was growing up, and I'll, I've mentioned before, I was raised super religious. So we couldn't like read Harry Potter and we couldn't play Dungeons and Dragons. That's all I know about it. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh okay. Well, I definitely read Harry Potter as a kid, but I. I have never played this. It's not even that I was necessarily opposed to it, but it has such a stigma of who it's for. But honestly, if I had been friends with people at any point in my life who were into it, I may have done it sooner because whatever, I'm pretty open to games. I love games. I love board games. 
I've talked on here before I've been playing more video games, which is new to me. I'm like, have never, I'm so uncoordinated with video games. So anything that's hard, I can't do. I need easy <laughs> video games for children. Yeah. So anyways, I'm in a good mood. We had like a family dinner night and we played our first part of our D&D campaign that my stepson wrote. He wrote it. Isn't that that's so cool? Fun? I don't I don't understand yeah. it and I want to, but that does sound like it would take some time and like some obvious strategy. I think that's oh incredible. My gosh, they did so much preparation for it and he and his girlfriend and they like brought over little kits for us and I mean it was a whole it's a whole ordeal. It's a that's whole thing. Fun. It was very fun and I'm really impressed by how much they've like put into it. So, you know, of course we encourage like yeah, keep doing this. This is great. We love it. I love it. That's great. That is great. That makes me Anyways, happy. Anyways, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am doing really good. Been a busy couple of weeks. I feel like I'm just now getting my footing underneath me for a change. It just feels like I have been running a mile an hour and it's just been, it's been a lot, but I'm doing really well. Nothing really new to report. My eldest stepdaughter came down and visited this past weekend and we got to spend some time with them and that was really special and fun. We don't get to see them near as much as we like and the only thing that I'm really looking forward to, and I should probably save this for like what's making me happy, is that this afternoon I'm going to get crawfish, which is like one of my favorite favorite meals and it's seasonal so I don't get it that often and my husband Drew he works for a company and they do a big company crawfish boil every afternoon every um spring in the afternoons oh my gosh every afternoon (laughs) I mean could you imagine so anyways we're doing that this afternoon I'm super excited about that but nothing really new to report but things have been busy but good I'm excited about what we're talking about it's funny that you said I should have saved this for a thing that's making me happy because I was thinking the same thing. So that counts as our first one for both of us. <laughs> okay, crawfish and D&D. You, you heard it here at the very beginning of the episode. You're welcome. But yes, let's let's talk about what the point of the episode is, which today we wanted to talk about auditing your social media. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, Typically, Sarah and I love to come to our recordings with kind of a rough idea of something that we want to talk about. And today I had just wrapped up meeting with a client and did a social media audit for them. And I thought, what a great conversation to have that we could potentially offer some thoughts that you may want to check into for your own social media, whether it's for your business or your personal and hopefully it gives you some some thoughts to mull over as you are working on your own social media or if you work on other people's social media and some little tidbits and thoughts. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of good stuff that we can dip, dig into because for you, marketing is like your expertise. It's what you do. You're a digital marketer. You're a digital marketing expert. That's what you offer to clients. It's what it's literally your job and um, For me, I don't have a super solid social media presence, but I have recently been pouring myself into revamping a social media strategy now that I have this distinct like Sarah K. Heater versus Podfox thing. And now, of course, Big Rave Business as well. And so thinking about like what's going into the different social media platforms, it's something that I've been like looking a lot into too. So I think we have a lot of a lot of experience and working with so many different clients it's given us such insight into so many different industries and perspectives and 
intentions and missions and <laughs> all of that. So let's dig in. When you were put to the task of doing a social media audit for this particular client, and I know this is just this one particular thing, but where do you even start? Like if you're going to do a social media audit for a client, where do you start? This is a great question, Sarah. So the best place to start, first of all, let me say the imposter syndrome is so real because I stress out so much. Like I do social media day in and day out, but I feel like there is a wealth of people and a wealth of information out there that could tell you things. And I would be like, oh, really? I had no idea that the algorithm prefers this over this. So this is me coming from working with tons of other clients. I do take marketing courses and I do take online webinars to try to keep myself educated as possible. But it really does like I just caught myself having the worst imposter syndrome, which is so silly because I literally do this for my job. I think the thing is there are people out there who might be experts on specific platforms, but you support clients on every platform, like literally even new platforms you've never heard of that they are like, well, this is really important to my industry. So then you just have to learn it. Right. So very I think uh, to give you a little bit more credit, I mean, nobody can be an expert on literally everything and you support people on every platform. But you do have strategy behind, even if it's a platform that you aren't an expert on, in general, you know how social media works and how marketing works. So I'm going to give you a lot more credit than you probably would give yourself. Thank you. I mean, I work really hard. I'm just simply saying there are people that come through my Instagram feed that are like social media coaches and they're like, are you doing this? You shouldn't be. And I'm like, well, I literally preach the opposite. So regardless, here we go. So the best place to start when you want to do a social media audit, the first thing that I do is I view your view a profile from a viewer standpoint. I don't log in. I look from a cold view. What does it look like? I want to see what other people are seeing. I want to see what's my first impression when I view it. Because a lot of people think, oh, I need to go look at the analytics. And you do. That's step number two. But first and foremost, you need to kind of get what's the vibe? What's my business? What, what am I trying to get across? Is it very like blatantly clear what I do? Because a lot of times you're in your business all day long, or if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur and you're not necessarily pushing a business, but you're pushing a service, a lot of times you work in your business so often that you kind of get tunnel vision. Like sometimes I'll work on projects for you, Sarah, and sometimes you'll look at it from fresh eyes and think, yeah, this sentence doesn't make sense. And in my mind, for the person who's been looking at it for two hours, I'm like, oh, this makes perfect sense. And then when you reread it and somebody points it out, you're like, oh yeah, you're definitely right. That makes no sense. So looking at it from fresh perspective and thinking to myself, if I had no idea who this person was, if I had no idea what the business was, do I get it? Like, does it make perfect, like stupid sense? I also look at things like, do your links work? You would be surprised how many times I look at businesses, profiles, big businesses, and their links don't work or their link tree is super crowded and not clear and convoluted and there's too many links like they're trying to do too much and as a viewer it's like god can we just like where's the one thing I'm looking for I um I check to see like if it's on Instagram how often are you adding to your highlights have they been updated recently are you including a very clear call to action those are all things that I look at from a stranger per perspective point of view then I will log in and I'll look at the back end of the social media I'll look and see What's your analytics look like? What's your most popular post? What's your reach look like? And who is, who's looking at your stuff? Who's engaging with your stuff the most? Something else I look at, when was the last time that you gave a good commented answer back to a comment that you had? 
I tell people all the time, I preached it today when I was giving that audit, hearting something is not engagement. Hearting a post just tells me, oh, you saw it. Thanks. But what I tell people to do is there should be, make it your goal if you're running a business on your social media, you should have four back and forth conversations with every single comment. That means if someone says, oh my gosh, hey, thank you so much for this post. It was very, very, very helpful. I look forward to implementing it in my business. That's an example. Don't respond with a heart. Don't respond with, great, I'm glad, thumbs up. No, you need to respond with a question. So say, that's awesome. What's your business? Like, is this something that I can help you with? And not even that you have to sell them something, but just make a conversation with them. Or say like, hey, when I was making this post, I was actually thinking about your business. Go look at their profile and see what they do or see what they're trying to sell or offer. Have a conversation with people. That's engagement. Sending a heart or (laughs) telling them, thank you, appreciate you, doesn't really do much. It limits your engagement. They don't really feel like you really did appreciate them and they're less likely to respond to another post in the future. But if you're engaging with them and you're making a loyal audience out of them and they care about you and they think you care about them, whether you do or not, it does matter. It does matter. I love this and I think that it's interesting food for thought because I have this problem and I have done both. I can't say I've never just hearted a comment. Of course I have. But I try to respond when I get comments. But I have trouble with how can I make this conversational? If somebody just says, this is great, or thank you, or I love this, or something generally supportive, I have trouble responding in a way that's going to continue the conversation. Because I don't really feel like a lot of the times the comments I get are open-ended so Mm -hmm. it's sort of like I don't know how to make a conversation out of this and it's so awkward so I love that you gave like a couple of tips of how to respond in a more open-ended way like what do you do I I think the reason why I've shied away from that one is a lot of times the people commenting are people I know and the other reason would be I feel like if I went on their profile, I could look and see what they do, theoretically. So is it a waste of a question to say, what do you do? Because to me, that comes across as like, well, click on my profile and see. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That's just an example. I mean, go on there to the profile, see what they do. And and if it's somebody that you do know, ask them, when's your next launch? Or, hey, is business, you've been busy? Or like, hey, we should grab coffee sometime. Or, hey, let's hop on a Zoom call. Or, you know, it can be about, you can go look at their profile and look at their dog and just say, I was just showing my partner this yesterday how cute your dog was. If you know these people, obviously, I probably wouldn't say that to a stranger. (laughs) Like, hey, I was looking at your dog and showing it off. But there are ways to start a conversation. Obviously, if somebody responds on something and they just put a thumb up. I mean, like that didn't really give you much to go off of, but I do think it's something to keep in mind. I do think it's something to keep in mind for a goal. Ideally is to try to have that engagement and just in your mind, think to yourself, an emoji is not really engaging with anybody. Like it's really not doing much. Like I just started working a couple of months ago with a restaurant doing their social media. And I looked back at the, I did an audit on their account and I looked at all their captions and they had tons of great comments where people had said, I love coming to your restaurant. It's my highlight of my month. I come every month with my husband. I love it. And the previous social media person, she puts a heart, a heart, y'all. I'm just dying inside as a social media person. I'm just dying. What a perfect opportunity to go. Well, when are you coming to visit us again? 
What do you like to order when you come visit? What's your favorite thing to eat when you come see us? How many times have you, I mean, like just starting a conversation to make people feel like you care, gets you brand loyalty right out of the gate. So that's my biggest, one of my biggest tidbits that I try to preach to people across any yeah, platforms. Yeah, I think that's great. I want to ask too um, about, I guess, I don't know what I want to ask, but I want to talk to uh, when you were, you mentioned analytics and digging into your analytics. And I think, you know, I was just recently watching someone else do social media audits a couple days ago. And that is one of the first things that they did is they went through and looked at, um, I guess, like on Instagram, if you're looking at it from a desktop, you can hover your mouse over the different posts and see what the likes slash comment number is specific to Instagram, of course. But it was a really quick, easy way to get a snapshot of what the person who was being audited, what their or the profile that was being audited, what the most popular posts were for engagement, which I also have never done. And it struck me as interesting because part of the reason I think I stay away from analytics on my social media is because I find them depressing and I get in my head. So I kind of stopped looking at analytics and started just, I post what feels right to me to post. And I just have confidence that putting it out into the world is going to reach people who want to engage with that content, are looking for that content, are seeking it out and just like stay in my lane, stay focused, head down and like don't don't get distracted by analytics. But it's so opposite of what I do with podcasting that it's so strange that I have that mentality. So anyways, that's not really a question, but no, yeah, I totally get that. Analytics can feel super, like, just sad when you see, like, three likes on a post that you spent time on. The The main purpose for me when I think about looking at analytics is really not, honestly, how do we get these numbers up? I look at it as, what do people care about? Like, this is your audience. This is your niche. What do people realistically want to see from you? What do they care about? And that to me is that tells me more about your messaging overall, like what, not even your content creation, but like what's your website look like? Like if they're if your audience, which I will go ahead and just tell you, spoiler alert, nine times out of 10, a graphic that you create is not going to get you near as much engagement as a picture of yourself. Like period, the end. People want to work with people. People see ads all day long. We see thousands and thousands of ads all day long. People don't want to feel like they're being sold something. And so people, which is why we have influencing is one of the most popular careers that are going through the roof is because we want to feel like we're being sold something off of Amazon from a influencer in Minnesota who tried this brand new bottle brush at her house and loves it. And now it's showing you how to use it. We want to be influenced by people. We don't want to be influenced by a static image, if that makes sense, like a graphic. It totally does. And that does lead me to another question that just popped into my head. And I'd love your insight. So I feel like I'm cheating because these are questions we would kind of talk about in an actual meeting. <laughs> but anyway, cool. I get like an extra credit meeting. So yeah. you mentioned people don't want to feel like they're being sold to just when they're scrolling social media. Like we see thousands of ads all day. We are pretty discerning about knowing what's an ad versus what is just consumable media. And I think that that's, that's really, really important. That's really critical. And it's interesting because as a consumer, when I follow an account of another entrepreneur or small business, and it is all sales all the time, 
I unfollow. Like it starts to feel like my nervous system is activated and I'm triggered and I'm like, okay, like I feel like I have to spend money right now. And that is, and I'm, but I'm not looking to spend money. Like I wasn't even in the market for this, but I feel like it's also a balance because as entrepreneurs and small business owners talking about what we do and who we serve and how what our offers are and making those offers really clear, really accessible, really transparent is critical to our business. So how do you do that without being all sales all the time and like yep. activating somebody into, hey, you're being sold to right now? What's the what do you do? <laughs> Yeah, it's a great question. So um, if you go look at my Instagram at Amanda Nelson Reads, follow me and I'll follow you back. We'll be friends. If you go look at my Instagram, in my it says my name and then it says virtual assistant. And I'll explain why in just a second. But if you go look at my profile, the two things that I have pinned to the top of my profile are a funny, relatable reel of me working and making fun of how I like to work in like the like, most slummiest pajamas. It's a funny joke, video, reel. And then the other one is a pin post for Big Brave Business. Everything else on my feed is outfit posts, pictures of my dogs, travels, my personal life. It's very relatable content. Me drinking wine on a patio somewhere. Like it's all relatable content. I still get weekly requests for Zoom calls with people looking for virtual assistants. And guess what? I also, because it's my niche, I've done research on similar people in my same demographic of work who also have virtual assistant in their profile. I've looked at theirs and guess what? All their profile is, is Canva templates with advice. And all that does to me is make me roll my eyes and not follow, not engage. Because I love to work, talk to other virtual assistants. I don't want to talk to that. Like, what's your, what do you do? Like, pe- businesses want to work with other human beings. People want to work with people. And I still get clients that reach out to me on the daily, potential clients wanting to work with me, even though they know I'm a virtual assistant, but I'm a lot more. I'm a 360 human being. So to answer your question, you don't realize how important it is for people to feel like they relate to you. Speaking your truth, being an authentic person, like in my opinion, gone are the days of like, oh, I've got to put on a very professional face right now. Like, I think we lost all that during COVID. <laughs> like we're Thank 360, goodness. right? We're 360 human beings. Like we're all doing the best that we can. We're running businesses. We're successful. Like we are full human beings and only showing your business comes off as incredibly salesy. It also comes off like you're not being personal and real. So to answer your question, the best way to do it is to talk about it. Like in my stories, I very rarely talk about work. Every once in a while, I'll put something about a workflow that I'm doing or something just to remind people that this is what I do for a living. But I also post a lot about my personal life. I have potential clients find me from my Instagram stories and they will comment and have conversations with me about a funny picture that I posted of my dog. And I will say, hey, that's interesting that you're a, uh, a life coach. I work with a bunch of life coaches. Have you ever heard of Doreen Corba or Debbie Sasson? Those are two of my clients. That starts a conversation that gets me another client. There is a relatability there that people want to work with. And they also you also want to be somebody that people want to be friends with. Like if you're an entrepreneur and you're wanting to work with other entrepreneurs, be personable, be real because like I said, we're all, this is like my motto this year, we're all doing the best that we can. So don't be afraid to talk about that you're a full 360 podcast person who you love podcasting. It's your business, but you're also like, you like playing D&D with your kids and like, 
You have yeah. to just, you have to do both. And I think a lot of times we get in that scarcity mindset of if I'm not constantly talking and reminding about reminding people about what I do, they're going to forget. Nobody's going to forget. Nobody. Interesting. This is just so, I mean, it's so in my head because I've been working on this like whole social media plan, which we're going to talk about later <laughs> as client <laughs> relationship anyway. But I, it's just fascinated and I'm sure unless the person listening is a social media manager I think that they would probably be fascinated too okay so what other analytics are important when you're doing a social media audit like if the and the person listening if they want to audit their own social media what other analytics besides what content is getting the most engagement what other analytics do you look at Something that I always find, this is specifically for Instagram, I love to look at the locations of your reach and the locations of your engagement. The reason being is this is a really good indicator if you're using hashtags that you're reaching your target audience. As an example, if you are a, we'll just say business coach and you're selling business coaching in the States only, however, you, your reach says that you are getting shown to India, primarily India over the United States. Something is wrong. Specifically, mm -hmm. another indicator for me is that if your reach says that it's primarily India, but your engagement is primarily the United States, what that tells me is that something is wrong, first of all. Second of all, it is you're not reaching your target audience, and the only people that are engaged with you are the United States, which is your target demographic. So what I do then is I go look and see what hashtags are you using and where are they most popular. If they are most popular in India, well, we've solved the problem. You want to make sure that you're using hashtags, if you're using hashtags and keywords in your profile that are going to optimize your profile for your target location, if that makes sense. Does that make sense, Sarah? Yeah. Okay, I want to make sure I'm articulating this well because <laughs> I feel like I've been talking about this all morning. I want to make sure that I'm being clear. And another thing about hashtags is you do not want to do more than five, specifically on Instagram and t and TikTok. But for real, do not do too many. T do not do many um, hashtags. If you're anything like anybody else in the world, and you've ever gotten a bot follow you on Instagram, and you go look at all their posts or whatever, and in their comments there will be 500 hashtags. That's spam. Instagram algorithm. TikTok, they see that as spam. They're going to remove you from everybody's algorithm. If you stick with three to five consistent hashtags in your niche, you will be successful. You will not only have your reach and your engagement the same, but you will also be seen in more algorithms and it'll be a clear message. How do you pick hashtags? Because, okay, there are hashtags that I follow as a consumer, but... The hashtags that seem the most relevant to my actual content, and maybe this is a content problem actually now I'm like kind of connecting the dots, because if my content is all business or sales or offers, then yeah, figuring out what hashtags to put, it's like, it's all just going to be sales. Nobody is really following a hashtag just for sales. And I find that this is like a disjointed thought, but I find that when I do use hashtags that I feel like are relevant in what I do or what I offer, I tend to attract people who do the same thing I do or something similar to what I do. Nobody really does the same thing, but people who work in the same industry, it's not clients, potential clients or prospective clients who are following those hashtags. It's other 
podcast professionals or other VAs or other entrepreneurs, other entrepreneurs could apply because they could want to start podcasts and so on and so. But most likely if they're following a hashtag related to podcasting, they already are podcasters and they have a whole thing going. So it's like, and then if it's just a generic podcast, like podcasters of Instagram or whatever, it's just a bunch of, hey, we have a new episode posts for all these different podcasts in all these different industries. It's not like it's not actually hitting anybody. So maybe as I think this through and you I want to hear your thoughts, maybe the problem is the content. Because if we fix the content to be me as a 360 person, and that's the priority, right? If we mm-hmm. up-level the content in that way, then the hashtags that go with that are about me as a 360 person. They're not specific to like offering podcasting services. So I'm kind of like thinking through that. But all of that to say, with that kind of frame of reference, how do you, you said, oh, like use a hashtag that's popular in your target area or whatever. What, how do you, how do you find a hashtag and how do you know if it's good? Yep. Great question. So first and foremost, get into the mindset of someone of your ideal customer. I will also say speaking directly to you, Sarah, you're limiting your thinking because you're thinking I can only, I only want to reach people who want to start a podcast. No, you have so many more offers for so many people who do have shows, who do need a a community and a membership. Sarah has launched an incredible resource library and membership and community that we also do webinars now. So it's not just about reaching just those people who are just about to start a podcast. That's the first thing. I just want to say that to you because you have so much more that you offer. You used to only have that, but you don't anymore, sister. You're killing it. So that's the first thing. Second thing is 60% of people use Instagram as a Google search when they are looking for something. So like I mentioned to Sarah, I think a couple episodes ago, when I look for a hairstylist in Mobile, I type in Mobile hairstylist or, you know, hair salons, Mobile, Alabama. Those are the things I look at. And if the hair salon that wants my business has their profile optimized correctly and has their location and has their has it in their bio that they're a hair salon in my area, I will find them. So in my opinion, first of all, there's some, there's some tech I can tell you, but first I want to give you this answer to you directly, Sarah, is what if you tried a hashtag that said, start a podcast? And it was a hashtag that said, start a podcast. And that it's was all the podcast hashtag. producers. That's who's following it. It's all other podcast producers, podcast editors. And I've had this problem in the past where trying to use those kind of hashtags, I end up getting all these followers or engagement from other people who offer comparable services. And at first I thought, well, I can engage with them. I can build community. I can network. But that is not who I want to be attracting because I have nothing for them. And it's not to say that I'm opposed to connecting with a, we we talked about community collaboration competition before, but it's not that I'm opposed to connecting with other people who do what I do, but I I have heard that is a huge problem people have on social media like a profile all about being a VA attracts other VAs. Doesn't attract yeah. people looking for VAs. Yeah. And and I think that is an interesting it's an interesting thing. The people who are looking at the start a podcast hashtag and using the start a podcast hashtag are podcast producers and editors. I probably have a VA telling them to do that. Like I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So yeah, I think um, there there are some ways we can definitely do some keyword searches. You know, it will be like I tell everybody start with four to five and commit each month to try to stick to those 
three to five, so not said four to five, but stick with those three to five hashtags for a month. See if you get any plays from those and then switch it up and just try it. Try it and see what your audience is because every hashtag search is going to be a little, a little sucky, but, um, but it does matter. It does help. And if anything, if anything, don't even look at it as, um, it's only going to be a bunch of people that are in my niche. I do understand. I do hear exactly where you're coming from. Cause that is a problem. If you go look at virtual assistant, if you look at hashtag virtual assistant, it is primarily other virtual assistants. But if you think of it as, is this hashtag going to help me show up in front of people who may be not following the hashtag, maybe have searched the hashtag in the past, got frustrated and saw all the people. And now you're going to show up in their algorithm. Who knows? Who knows? We're all slaved. We're all a slave to the algorithm, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that would be something that, that would be something that we will in our meeting as soon as we get done wrapping up, we can discuss, we can discuss. But yeah. <laughs> that's a really good question. It's a really good question. Okay, so we're looking at hashtags, we're looking at engagement, and and the first step was to look at it from a viewer perspective, a consumer perspective, not logged in, and looking at it, hopefully with fresh eyes of, does this clearly articulate what I do, who I serve, where I'm located, or what, what the, you know, all those targets, and um, are my links accessible, all of that, what next? <laughs> What do you do do after that? Yeah, so you want to make sure that your bio looks great. I mentioned that earlier, but really making sure that your bio is clear, making sure that your profile picture is clear. Some people will sometimes put a bio if it's like personal page and they will put a picture that's way too far. You want to make sure your face is accessible. If you're on Instagram, you want to make sure your highlight reels are full of content so that when people do land on it, people do look at highlight reels. People think all the time that they don't. They really do. Studies show that people do look at highlight covers. So make sure that your highlight covers are organized. Make sure that you do have active content in there. Don't let it be from three years ago. Make sure that it's something. And if you've ever posted on your Instagram stories, it is saved and you can go back through and add them to your highlights. I will periodically, probably about once every couple of weeks, I will go through and make sure that everything is categorized in my highlights how I want it to be. It just shows that you're active. Instagram likes activity. People love to see your things. So make sure that your highlight covers are done. That's for Instagram. After we look at all your analytics, you need to check and see what kind of content is the most resonant. We talked about that being the most authentic content is you and your face. So then that's when I step back and I go, let's talk about how, what kind of content creation that we want to make for you, where it feels personable, where it's something that your people care about. And you also making sure that we do have that personal photo, but inside of the, inside of the comments and captions, we are including a call to action, whether it's shoot me a message, comment below. You want to always try to think of your captions as an open-ended conversation. So don't ever post something and just put a period. Put a question mark there or a little emoji pointing down telling people to leave you something in the captions. Like you want people to find that you are open and accessible to them, if that makes sense. So next steps would be creating those content buckets, which gets into a whole other conversation. But Content buckets are simply what are the four, three or four things that we definitely want to talk about, whether it's I want to educate, I want to entertain, I want to sell, and I want to like I want to engage with people and connect. And then you'll take those four different categories and you'll create content that fleshes out each of those buckets. So if it's I want to be entertaining, maybe that's a funny, funny reel of your dog running through the yard and being silly. If you want to educate, that would be a great time to create a carousel post where you are doing multiple graphics. People love carousels and they are reading to the end. 
If you're looking to sell, that's when you can do a selling of your offer, but those are sparing. I would include those like once every two weeks, maybe once, maybe once a week. That's every two weeks is a little much, just depending upon your niche. But yeah, so then it's content creation, content bucket time. Okay. I love this. And I think we could probably have another conversation in the future specifically around content buckets, content pillars, all of those things. There's so much that goes into it. And there's so many schools of thought about it. Like everybody who talks to your point earlier, if you follow multiple social media managers, then you're going to hear multiple like perspectives on things. So we could dig into that and what we feel ours are and stuff like that in a different episode if that sounds interesting and fun for anybody else. So if you're to the person listening, if you if you want to hear more about social media, our thoughts, our advice, our personal feelings, a lot of times in this podcast, we tend to share less like this, like strategy and expertise. And we tend to share more of our personal feelings and experiences. So I tried I think we both tried to incorporate some of that in here as well, but we're happy to like dissect more about how we feel about social media and what it's like showing up on social media or not. We can definitely have more of that conversation in another episode. Thank you so much for listening and for letting us know you're listening. We love getting those messages and it's so cool to feel that sense of community with you that we're having these conversations we have anyway and just getting to include you in them and getting to hear your stories. We've heard from a couple of people on our money story episode that just came out, I think, last week. It's been so cool to hear from you and to hear your stories and to hear what resonated about our story. And we love, love, love having those conversations with you. So to Amanda's point earlier, we're open to dialogue. We're open to discussion and we do genuinely want to connect with you. We do genuinely care about you. But I think that's probably all we've got for this social media audit. I really hope it was helpful. And thank you, Amanda, for all of your expertise and your tips and wisdom. And follow us on Instagram at Big Brave Business, at Amanda Nelson Reads and at Sarah K. Heater. See you next time.